0: Today's Scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 24, through 21, verse 25. Please follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me as I read the Word of the Lord. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "'We have seen the Lord.'" Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. He said, "'Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some.'" When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "'It is the Lord.'" As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, "'It is the Lord,' he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards." took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify him. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. We're here. Um, I'm always encouraged, if we've not met before, my name is Bruce Kendrick. I'm uh, on staff at Watermark and uh, just enjoy coming to worship with you uh, every time I'm invited. And so um, I, I want to just recognize again, uh, your service is really slow, um, intentionally so. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but like when, when I usually walk into worship, It is, in some ways, meant to be as accessible as possible, and yet um, the thing about the way that you worship as a church uh, brings gravity to uh, who it is that we're worshiping. That it isn't like fill up your coffee, get your bulletin, find a comfy seat, and uh, and then just kind of sit back and enjoy. Uh, That as we pray for other churches, uh, as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for this pastor search opportunity. Uh, it just grounds me in what we're doing here. And um, I start with that because last week was hard uh, for me. Like Easter for me, uh, in some ways, is harder to worship Christ than the rest of the year. Because in, in many ways, there's all this expectation that comes with it. Um, and yet none of the lead up time, because I most likely, like many of you, grew up in a Protestant tradition. So uh, we, we don't really do Lent well. We don't really do Ash Wednesday. We don't do Monday Thursday. Um, we barely get a Seder meal in and we think we've done something. <laughs> like, oh, okay, this is like what they were eating. And, and so, um, you know, Good Friday hit me and I went, like, how do I conjure up the emotions that I'm supposed to have on Good Friday? And nothing can't. Um, you know, in in many ways, I'm grateful for that, right? Like, I don't want to ride the emotional roller coaster of Easter. I don't want to ride the emotional roller coaster of of my faith, uh, where like like God's got me on some kind of yo-yo, and uh, you know, just things are are difficult because if I don't feel it, then somehow it's not true. And yet, as uh, I walked into Saturday morning, I'm meeting with our community group guys and just sat down and got to share and confess some of them, and uh, they're an encouragement to me. We went to Sunday, and and honestly, uh, nothing had really changed, and I kind of went through the motions, and we did what we did, and uh, following that, Monday, uh, God started to just continue to reveal himself in in ways that did stir my emotions, and uh, I hope it's okay, but uh, we're going to celebrate Easter for a second Sunday this morning. Like, I don't want to be cliche and be like, well, we like to celebrate Easter all year long, but... um, I don't know if you know this, I don't think I knew this, but Easter has historically been celebrated for an eight-day period starting with the day of Easter. Today, or the past eight days, including today, was known as the Octave. Um, And so, we've kind of like missed out on in in an attempt to get rid of some of the tradition that didn't seem biblical, that that, uh, maybe felt burdensome. We've lost some of the connection that I think uh, is really healthy for us. And um, and so, today is uh, really the last day of Easter, and yet at the same time, um, there is this 40-day period where God is evidencing the resurrection to reach the world, Uh, certainly beyond then. But I'm guessing for most of us, I know for me, I didn't ever get like a second Easter message. You know, it's not like Christmas where we have all the pageantry and you've got like a month and all the consumerism and stuff that you get to ignore uh, to build up into celebrating Christmas. It's sort of like Good Friday shows up and I remember as a kid and being like, okay, I don't really remember what this is. I mean, it's Friday. I'm out of school. That's good. But what else are we doing here? And then Sunday hit, and my mom dressed me up in pastels and made me take pictures, and we did a little Easter egg thing. And then Monday came, and that was it. Um, and so the opportunity that we have, I think I just want to invite you in to the scene of what's happening here in John 2021, 20, um, because. Jesus is doing something else, Uh, not something different than what he did on the resurrection, but there's more to explore. Uh, There's more to enjoy. There's more to worship as God evidences the resurrection, as Jesus evidences himself. Um, Some significant things about the 40 days for Jesus, uh, for us extending the Easter worship time that's very intentional— that I stumbled across is found in Leviticus, and that's that when a male child was born, uh, that mother was told to rest for 40 days. Uh, That Jesus, in his resurrection, is fulfilling the law, right? And then at the same time, in his 40 days of fasting and being in the wilderness, is uh, in some way preparing himself for the ascension, and um, in all of this, I want us to recognize our need to fight familiarity. That Easter, for many of us, has come, like, oh yeah, Jesus has risen from the dead, but maybe we don't remember as many of the details. Um, It's just this fantastic claim and truth that we realize, that we enjoy, that we worship to, and, and, then unfortunately, I think because we've gotten familiar, we start to move on. We, we, um, we start to trade the claims of Scripture and history with like a busy holiday. Uh, if you're a mom in the room, if you're a wife in the room, uh, my guess is, like my wife, you felt this, that worshiping Jesus took a back seat to whatever it is that your kids were going to wear, uh, whatever behaviors they had that morning. Um, Whatever meal it was you were going to serve, whatever family and friends you had to invite over, whether or not the house was clean, and so uh, one of the blessings of this morning is that you don't you don't have all that on your shoulders, uh, maybe for the first time, uh, you get to enjoy Easter this morning, but it's not just that. We have the familiarity of the Easter story and, and sort of the busyness of the holidays and, and all that, that's entailed with that. I think in addition, we have the familiarity with the church. Um, and what I mean by that is, is, like, it's real easy for us to start to insulate and for us to surround ourselves with people that can respond uh, with great fervor and encouragement and say, He has risen indeed, and, and be excited about that. And yet, to invite someone in to the empty seats that are next to you, and to, to think about the opportunity to have to unpack for them what it is, what is this thing that we're doing? What are these claims that have been made? Because it's not just the resurrection, if that wasn't enough in its own. Um, and so where, where I want to go this morning is just ask you to put yourself at the scene of these three stories— these three men's lives, as um, was just read, and recognize that, that the risen Christ satisfies skeptics, restores rejects, and welcomes witnesses to bring salvation to the world. The risen Christ satisfies skeptics, he restores rejects, and he welcomes witnesses to bring salvation to the world. And so go back If you've still got your Bibles open, to verse 24, and we'll read through. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Okay, put yourself there. Thomas, Thomas didn't get the news from Mary Magdalene. He wasn't in the room. We don't necessarily know where he was, but... But Thomas didn't get to, to join the race with Peter and John to the empty tomb, um, which I'd like to just make a side note. Uh, it is super shady of John to throw Peter under the bus like that. Um, just like, well, Peter was slow, and I got there first. Nonetheless, Thomas isn't there. And so um, Thomas is now walking through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what were you doing this past week? At any point in time, were you wrestling with doubt? Friday, Saturday, he's supposed to be resting on Sabbath, and yet his friends, the people nearest and dearest to him, are telling him, that guy we followed around for years, he's alive. And Thomas is left with what? unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not believing. Like I'm not getting caught up in some religious fanaticism where I go and get martyred. I'm not going to do this like mythical compliance. And for some where Easter has become really familiar, I want to suggest that we've downgraded our faith into that because it's just become rote. It's just become this exercise that we do because it makes us part of the club. It helps us feel known. And there's certainly some value to that. But I I think just as Tom mentioned last week of sort of half-believing, of our half-conviction, of our almost-faithfulness, I want to challenge us. says a week later, his disciples, verse 26, were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I want to I touch on three things. Um, the first is this. Jesus evidences the resurrection in God's timing. This, this threw me off a bit. Because I hadn't thought deeper about it. But what Jesus doesn't do. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Is start chasing Thomas around. And going no, no, no. You have to believe. I really am risen. He waits. That's remarkable to me. Like. Dude, you came back to life and you waited to tell one of your closest? Why? Well, that, didn't, that doesn't add to the convincing nature for me. Like if, if I'm Thomas, if I'm a skeptic looking from the outside in, I'm going like, doesn't Jesus rush around? Doesn't he make himself evident everywhere all at once? In addition... Jesus doesn't apologize for not fitting the messianic, culturally relevant position that his disciples thought he would. Like, that's a twist. And we'll see it in Peter's story here in just a minute, but I don't know if you've picked up on this. Um, Man, we are getting caught up in a cultural war where we walk around apologizing for God hey, God, uh, like you made these statements about gender roles. You made these statements about marriage. You made these statements about sexuality. You made these statements about, I mean, pick it. And yet Jesus is no point in time goes, hey, guys, I know you thought I was going to be like the warrior king, and uh, we were going to bounce all these Romans out of here and we were going to take over the whole world. I know you thought that was going to happen, but here's the thing, right? If you just read the Hebrew, he didn't do that. What does he do? He walks in and says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. He adds, in addition to the extraordinary claim that he has overcome death, that, oh, by the way, he also can like teleport in this resurrected body or walk through walls or whatever the situation is. All I know is the doors are locked. Okay, If you're starting and kind of galvanizing a new group of believers and you want to launch some kind of mythical fairy tale, whatever it is that you get yourself into, what you typically don't do is go, not only do I have the power to overcome death, but I can also walk through walls. I don't know if we've processed that. As somebody who really enjoys some good skepticism, cynicism is not your friend. Skepticism at times can be healthy. Be Bereans, right? And yet Jesus is like tacking on, it's like he's daring them to believe that he's still alive. He's emboldening them. Not only can I overcome death, but hey, let me eat something and I'm going to walk back through this wall whenever we're done talking. And so is it any wonder that Thomas is like, "Uh, nope, guys, I'm not going to be duped into this. Into some religious zealotry. I know we all really wanted this real bad. We all thought this was gonna happen in this way, and it didn't. And guys, let's just go home and move on. And yet, a week later, Thomas walks in, skeptic of skeptics. My Lord and my God. Um, I just learned this this past week as we were reflecting on Easter in our staff prayer. Uh, somebody shared this and, and I've known these things, but it had not been memorable for me. Nobody put it in this kind of, um, I don't know, helpful tool to remember these things. But um, you may be the skeptic. You may be engaging the skeptic. But I was given this this acronym Using the word heart or acrostic using the word heart, which is uh, just a helpful instrument to remember the evidences of the resurrected Christ when we're satisfying skeptics. Because Jesus didn't just say, hey, just believe it on faith, just blindly, I'm alive and I came back and I can do these things and this is who I am. He evidences it. It's not some unreasonable claim that we can just cast aside and we're like, man, that really reads like Greek myths. That really reads like some Babylonian creation story of dragons and eggs popping open and children being eaten and things like that that are are really wild. And yet, there is something extraordinary to the claim that Christ overcame death. And so, Heart just stands for these five things. I'll go quickly, but um, write them down. The H stands for honorable burial. They knew that Jesus' body had been buried in an honorable way by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Um, They knew that he wasn't supposed to be buried that way. Because he was crucified on a cross, he was supposed to be cast aside as one who is cursed. And yet, he is buried honorably with a Roman seal and guard. Secondly, the empty tomb, the E, that at any point in time, anyone could have gone, no guys, he's right there. His, the seal, the rock, it's all still, he's, he's in that tomb. That would have made dispelling the Easter story real easy for Thomas to just go, hey guys, let's just walk back over. But he couldn't because the tomb was empty. His appearances to others in some ways, I, I want to ask, like, if, if what we're being communicated with here is to satisfy skeptics, why even add Thomas in eight days later? Why not just go with the empty tomb and Mary Magdalene and the fact that women are testifying to that, which wouldn't have been taken seriously, the fact that Peter and John both go, so you've got two eyewitnesses that are men that are taken seriously in that culture. Why add Thomas in? Why complicate things? Why add in the rest of this, John? The resurrected body, again, I've already, like, why add that claim in? And then lastly, the the tradition of the resurrection, that there's not enough time. This is uh, one of the evidences, if you follow William Lane Craig, one of the evidences of um, the resurrection is that there's not enough time for a legend or myth to develop between when the event happens, when the accounts are written. Like you need like 250 years for a legend to develop. Um, And I'd argue the gospel accounts and the vast majority of the New Testament is written before AD 70. That's when the fall of the Jerusalem temple is happening And uh, that would have been an event to throw into the New Testament. That would have been significant to New Testament believers. And yet it's not in there. I was talking to um, my youngest son. I don't know if I've shared this story with you or not, but uh, he's nine now. And at the time, we're dropping him off at school one morning. And he's like six or seven years old. And I'm just trying to stir his heart and engage him in conversations about salvation. His name's Chapel. He looks just like me. It's awesome. And um, so much fun, but just my greatest desire for him is that he'd know the Lord. And I just ask him, hey, buddy, like, what do you think? And he just says, I just want to know that it's real, that it's not just a bunch of stories. Um, Like, I I don't want to be duped. At six, seven years old, he gets it. He gets that there are lots of stories, lots of legends, lots of good ideas, lots of good intentions, and he's not interested. I'm like, okay. And so I've got the afternoon to pray and think of like, how am I going to share this with him? And so I go and I look up, who, who are the people that weren't Christians, uh, that, that weren't Jews even, that testified to the story, and so I get to bring to him that afternoon the whole um, evidence of the great Roman historian Tacitus and unpack for him the persecution of Christians in Rome under Nero and the testimony of Christ, of what was being claimed and what people were dying for. And so I want to ask, just in wrapping this point up, do you wrestle with doubt? Do you resist being duped? Do you read the passage in John 21, 30 through 31 that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Not only does Jesus satisfies skeptics. He restores rejects. And, I mean, we love Peter. He is, he is such a lovable, um, relatable character in the New Testament. Like, you see him put his foot in his mouth. You see him testify to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah um, You just see his boldness and his desire and his heart. I mean, we love Peter, and yet if we look at Peter's experience and think about this kind of eight-day, maybe 10, 12-day window as you've gone from the triumphal entry where Jesus is walking in and gets on the donkey, and you can see Peter, right? Put yourself there. You can see Peter going like, yes, we're doing this. They're all cheering, this is amazing, so then they're at the Lord's Supper and, and Jesus is washing their feet and Peter's so zealous. Don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, hey, just the feet will do. Um, and Jesus is like, hey, John 13 through 17, if you've not read it recently, go back and read it. That was an intense dinner. He washes their feet and he's like, hey guys, let's go pray. And Peter and, and the other disciples are like, it's late. <laughs> You've been talking for a very long time. It's all been great stuff, but maybe we could take a nap. Um, and so they go with him to the garden, and they take a nap. And Jesus, pouring tears and blood. God, may this, this cup pass from me. He knows what's coming. And yet, Peter stirred by Judas. And the soldiers that come to arrest Jesus. And, and at the same time, he witnesses. He witnesses Jesus as they go, We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Jesus say? I am he. And what do they do? They all step back and fall down. Can you imagine the disciples in that moment? They're thinking back to the triumphal entry, like, Here it goes, here it goes. And you can almost feel Peter grasp the handle of his sword. And Jesus, patiently, they come back. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I told you, I'm he. They go to arrest him. And it's Peter's shining moment. And he pulls his sword out and he cuts the dude's ear off. And what does Jesus tell him? Don't defend me. Don't protect me. And I I listen to that, and I feel like it's the coach just going, take your jersey off, you're done. You're not playing anymore. The game is over. It was a fun ride while it lasted. Is it any wonder that he finds himself around the fire not long after going, I wasn't with him. I didn't know him. He's not, he's not setting the oppressed free he's dying. He's arrested. He's a fake. He's a fraud. I, I desperately desired, because Peter grew up as this like disqualified. I don't know about you, but like Peter grew up as this disqualified. He was looked over. He was passed over. Maybe he didn't grow up in the right family. Maybe his dad didn't have the right connections or the right job. Maybe his mom didn't. Whatever the excuses were, I, I know for me, like even standing here I'm like if you only knew love my parents to death but for forever have walked with sort of this like small-minded mentality of I'm not really qualified to be here. And Peter going, I thought I was qualified. I thought we were going to do something different. Instead, he rejects Christ. Good Friday happens. Saturday passes, and despite his inability to outrun John, is it any wonder that he runs to the tomb and peers in and is confused? And yet that night, as Jesus appears, Peter starts to piece it together. You can hear him appealing to Thomas throughout the week, Thomas, You know me. You know I denied him. And I'm telling you, he's alive. And so the the passage goes on, and it, it says that they go out fishing, which should sound incredibly familiar. Just like the first time Jesus came to them. It's like he's hitting the reset button. And going, I told you I was going to do something new. We're not going to start where we left off in your doubt. We're going to help you see it all again with completely new lens. And the sweetest part of this passage for me, there's a lot to pull out. Okay, the 153 fish, I've always been like, okay, what's that? Um, There's a lot to pull out here. And yet what is it that Peter does when John turns around and says, it is the Lord? Look at verse seven. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord, right? They've been fishing. They haven't caught anything. They're casting their nets. They're kind of coming disappointed. Like they're supposed to be professional fishermen. Come on guys. And yet they, they come back in still 100 yards off. They're still in deep water. And Jesus on the shore yells out, just throw your nets on the other side. And the nets immediately are too heavy to pull in. John doesn't even bother. He just looks at Peter and goes, it's the Lord. And what does Peter do? So we should be hearkening back to the to that passage that story is Jesus is walking on the water across and Peter sees him and is afraid it's a ghost. And Peter says call out to me and I'll come to you. And Jesus says come on. And he steps out onto the water and he's kind of as long as he's got his eyes on Christ he's okay but then he starts to see the waves and he starts to what? He starts to drown. But what does Peter do here? He dives in the water. He jumps in. He's left everything behind. Because there's something about hope that for many of us, man, we we are unwilling to hope against hope. And Peter's already experienced it. Peter's Peter's already been disappointed. Peter's already been disqualified. Peter's already denied the Lord. And yet, there is this faith, this hope that is certain that he is realizing. And so, of course, he just dives in. He's not worried about walking on water. He's worried about Getting to Christ as quickly as possible. And Jesus restores him. They eat together, they break bread. Jesus says to Peter, Do you love me? You know the story. Do you love me? And the last time he's hurt, And sometimes Christ wounding you is one of the very best things when you recognize that you've been struggling with disqualification, you've been struggling with disappointment. Maybe it's a past relationship or a divorce in your family or whatever it is. You've just kind of learned to kind of half do it, almost do it, to maybe hold something back so that you can protect your heart. Because it's easier to deny and be disappointed than it is to have faith and be courageous. And so in some ways I want to ask, are you protecting yourself due to your familiarity with unmet hopefulness? Is that what keeps you a reject in the kingdom of God because you're not really all in? And yet Christ The risen Christ desires to restore you. Desires to restore those that are far off. Desires to restore those who have amputated themselves from the church and walk around and just say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really a part of the church anywhere. And then lastly, and I'll be quick, Jesus welcomes witnesses. It's the last section of this passage. Starting in verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answers, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said... If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? It's always like a really interesting passage. It seems like a little bit of an aside. And yet the thing about witnesses is is that we acknowledge that rumors, myths, legends, they're part of it. People are going to come up with their own ideas about how this all worked out. I'll never forget, I was... um, I love barbecue. I was at uh, Pecan Lodge down in Deep Elm with a good friend of mine. Um, Technically, I should have chosen Terry Black's because it's better, but don't worry about that. Um, I was at Pecan Lodge, and uh, there's no parking there. And as a sinful man, I went, I'll be okay if I don't pay for parking, I'll just be here like 30 minutes. Uh, only it's barbecue, and you're going to be there at least an hour. And so I park. I, I don't pay for parking. I don't go over the little thing. Um, I'd like to give some excuse about how I didn't see it, and maybe that's true, but it's probably not. Nonetheless, I go in and I eat, and I come back, and what do I find on my car? A boot. Um, and my friend who's with me is like, "Uh, so you didn't pay for parking?" And I'm like, "Nope." And uh, long story short, we hang out for a bit, waiting for the guy to come take the boot off of my car uh, so I could pay him $100. So just learn from me. Just pay for parking. It's better than the $100. Um, But the parking attendant comes up, and he's writing my ticket, and we strike up a conversation, and I swear it's the first time I've ever had anybody start a gospel conversation with me that I didn't prompt. And I got to spend not only the next hour paying him 100 bucks, which was well worth it, but I got to share the gospel with this guy as I got to unpack his skepticism and his rejection and just be a witness for Christ. I had not invited him into the conversation. He was just there to help me out. And yet John, as an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection and implications of Jesus Christ as the author and faithful testifier, the witness of this account of the gospel. So faithfully lives out his years that in AD 95, the Roman emperor Domitian exiles him to Patmos, an island reserved for convicts. It's like Australia back in the day. And what does John do? John turns the entire island into a pilgrimage for Christians. Just being a faithful witness to the account of the gospel, to the work of the risen Christ. And so what does your witness communicate to those around you? Have you taken the opportunity to even write it down and share it? Like, What a helpful exercise so that we don't forget, so that we don't become familiar. We look at the experiences of Thomas and Peter and John, the skeptic, the reject, the witness. We see Thomas go to India. We see Peter, I mean, Peter's got, still has issues, right? Think about his engagement with Cornelius, all the way to his martyrdom in Rome where he's crucified upside down and says, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. John exiled the Patmos. Their response to the resurrection is not to insulate themselves, protect themselves, even among persecution. Their response to the resurrection is to go and to invite others. And so I think in our familiarity, we've gotten really comfortable with one another and we've started to insulate. And as you pray that your coming pastor and his family would prepare their hearts to be excited to be here, I want to encourage you to establish a new normal, a new expectation, where you just regularly extend an invitation to share the gospel with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with those you intersect with each and every day. That you would never walk in to worship the Lord and not have the expectation of having invited someone to join you. One of the sweetest gifts to us last Sunday is we went to worship and we sat down next to a girl that I work with. single girl. Um, and afterwards... She just said, hey, what are your plans? And I said, well, we're going home, and, you know, we've got family coming over and hanging out, and she, she just kind of stood, and was like, you know, that's great, awesome, y'all have fun. And I, I just said, well, what are your plans? And she said, I don't have any. And my wife, without skipping a beat, said, you should come over. Now, this isn't like, look what Bruce did, this, this girl's already a believer, okay, But there's something about inviting someone that shifts your focus from you to something bigger. And I know we can all see the empty seats around. And so this isn't a guilt of you looking back at who you missed an invitation to. This is an opportunity of looking forward to say, who are you going to come across this week? as you continue to celebrate the resurrected Christ that gets to fill one of these seats next Sunday. That you get to share the evidences of the resurrection that they might not be stuck in cynicism or skepticism. That, That you get to reinstate, that you get to communicate the restoration of Christ as you bear witness. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning, um, for your truth, for your word, for uh, not just a day of celebrating the resurrection, but God, um, a season, a lifetime of getting to know and glorify and honor and celebrate and magnify how glorious you are. God, you're so kind to us. You don't beat us up for our doubt. You don't beat us up for misappropriating your gifts or being poor stewards. You don't tell us, do better, do more. You invite us to know and to love you, to enjoy you. And it's in that enjoyment that we experience an overflow of your spirit that begins to pour out of our lives into those that we work with and to those that we go to school with. Father, we still carry around, admittedly, a fear of man that, that often just stops us in our tracks as we don't want to be seen as just these religious zealots or, or we don't want to be seen as those that are just sharing this myth and, and apologizing for how offensive it might be how countercultural it might be. We know we're prone to that. And yet, God, help us in faith. Be people of courage. The kindest thing that we can do is invite those who don't already know you to know you. And we don't have to travel overseas. Certainly, we're mindful of the need of an opportunity to go and proclaim your name to the nations, and yet, because of our nation, you've brought the nations here. God, help us, where we are short-sighted. Glorify yourself through us. Help us continue to worship the resurrected Christ. Love you and ask these things in his holy, powerful, and able name. Amen.